When we are reading sacred scripture, one of the principles we need to keep in mind is that sacred scripture, the Bible, is simple enough that virtually anyone can get the basic message of any given passage. But at the same time, the depths of sacred scripture is such that we can never exhaust the riches of its meaning. And I would venture to say that a very good example of this principle is found in the parable of the wicked tenants from our gospel today. The basic meaning of this parable is fairly straightforward. The uh, vineyard is Israel. The owner is God, right? The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. The tenants are the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, who are entrusted uh, with the uh, care of Israel, the care of this vineyard. The servants who come to the vineyard on behalf of the owner stand for the prophets, and the son stands for Jesus. The mistreatment and uh, killing of the servants, as well as the ultimate killing of the owner's son, is a reference to the violent hostility the religious leaders often show to the prophets, and a prophecy of the hostility they will show towards Christ. And finally, the judgments on the tenants is a prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened within a generation in the year 70 AD when Rome left no stone left upon another in the city of Jerusalem. Like I said, fairly straightforward parable. However, it would be a mistake to think that this basic explanation exhausts the meaning of the parable. After all, this is the word of God. What else is there in this parable, you might ask? Well, Pope Benedict XVI, he wrote at length about this parable of the wicked tenants in his book, Jesus of Nazareth. And here's what he said, quote, The Lord always speaks in the present and with an eye to the future. Thus, in this parable, the Lord is also speaking with us and about us. If we open our eyes, isn't what is said in the parable actually a description of our present world? Isn't this precisely the logic of the modern age? Let us declare that God is dead, then we ourselves will be God. At last, we no longer belong to anyone else. Rather, we are simply the owners of ourselves and of the world. At last, we can do what we please. We get rid of God. There is no measuring rod above us. We ourselves are the only measure. The vineyard belongs to us. What happens to man in the world next? We are only beginning. We are already beginning to see. End quote. The words of Pope Emeritus Benedict cut right to the heart of the matter. Yes, this parable speaks of the dynamic of hostility between Israel's leaders and God, culminating with the rejection of Christ. But the parable also stands as a critique and a warning against our own age, which has, on the whole, rejected God. You know, over the past few centuries, we have seen a, an aggressive and rapid secularization of Western culture. Secularism is an ideology which puts the concerns solely on this world to the exclusion of the next. Secularism necessarily embraces relativism, religious and moral relativism especially. And so it takes religious questions such as the meaning of life, questions about morality, God, heaven, hell, and reclassifies them as mere opinion or personal preference rather than the realm of objective truth. Secularism proposes we live as if God didn't exist. It proposes that we ourselves are the measure of reality. Secularism says we are the ultimate measure of reality. And I think one of the, one of the most obvious instances of this is uh, a famous line from former Supreme Court Justice Anton Kennedy, 
uh, in, in, uh, from the decision in Casey versus Planned Parenthood in 1992. There, Kennedy wrote that at the heart of liberty is the right to define one, one's own concept of existence, of meaning of the universe and the mystery of the human life. He might as well have been saying that at the heart of liberty is moral and religious relativism. He, he might as well have been saying that the vineyard is ours. We are the measure of reality. The objective truth, however, is that we are not the measure of reality. And the parable stands as a clear warning against the godlessness our, our society increasingly embraces. But there's more to this parable still. The parable can and should be read as a, as a challenge, a call for us to do the opposite of the wicked tenants, to be good tenants, good stewards, and to bear good fruit. What is this good fruit that God calls us to bear? Well, it's twofold. One, it's holiness, sanctity. God has called us all to be holy, to be saints. Sanctity is not for the few. It is the destination of every baptized Christian. You know, on October 10th, in a matter of days, the church will beatify a 15-year-old boy named Carlo Acutis from, uh, I believe he's from Milan. Uh, beatification is the final step before uh, canonization. So God willing, he will, within a, a few years, be proclaimed a saint. He was, by all accounts, a very ordinary teenager. He loved a computer program, but he had a passionate love for our Lord uh, and, and strove to become the saint that God created him to be. So that's the first thing. To bear fruit means to, to um, strive after the holiness, the sanctity God created us for. The second thing is to do our best to bring others into the fold. You know, it's not enough to practice the Catholic faith. We need to be willing to share it with others. We need to bring others into the fullness of a relationship with Christ in prayer and the sacraments. So what does the parable tell us about bearing fruit? Well, I'll say this, first and foremost, it reminds us that we are not the owners of the vineyard. We are its tenants. As tenants, that means we do not define for ourselves our role, our job, our purpose, right? Um, you know, we don't define for ourselves the, the meaning of life. We don't define for ourselves existence. These things God has defined for us. He created us for a purpose, for a reason, and that purpose is holiness. You know, we are tenants and not owners. Thus, our lives, our families, our communities, they're not our own. I'll say that again. Even our very lives are not our own. God has entrusted our lives and our families and our communities to us, and he's calling us to be good stewards, to personally strive to grow in holiness, and to help others to become the saints they were created to be as well. Now, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. If we embrace this, uh, we are going to be living a countercultural life, especially as this secularism continues to grow. But throughout history, it is the saints who have changed the world for the better. The saints who have brought the most back to the kingdom of God. But there is further meaning still in this parable. Jesus wraps it up by quoting Isaiah, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Christ is saying that the song of the vineyard, the parable of the wicked tenants, it does not end in tragedy. It doesn't end with the death of the owner's son, but with his resurrection from the grave. 
In the wonderful providence of God, even the wicked tenant's evil plot plays right into his plan for our redemption and salvation, for it is by his cross and resurrection that he has set us free from sin and death, and won the grace that forgives our sins for those times when we ourselves have been more wicked tenant than good steward. The stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. This means that God never fails. We might fail. We might fail to be faithful, yet he never fails. He is always faithful, and he alone can bring good out of evil. And so we do not need to be afraid. Yes, we have the duty of laboring in the Lord's vineyard. Yes, we must seek to be good and faithful stewards over our very lives, our families, and our communities. Yet we do so with the hope that comes from knowing that in the end, the last word goes not to the wicked tenants, but to God, that the victory is his, and if we persevere in laboring in his vineyard, then he will give us a share in his victory for all eternity.